Well, this morning we are three weeks away from Easter, as I said, and we are in Isaiah chapter 50. And so um, I want us to, there's only 11 verses. We're going to read through the 11 verses and then we'll start talking about these, uh, the content of the verses. But let's go ahead and read through them first. Uh, I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's bill of divorce with which I put her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? No, because of your sins you were sold. And for your transgressions your mother was put away. Why was no one there when I came? Why did no one answer when I called? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? But my rebuke, excuse me, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I didn't hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in the darkness and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies upon his God? But all of you are kindlers of fire, lighters of firebrands. Walk in the flame of your fire and among the brands that you have kindled. This is what you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This one was really tough for me when I first started studying it. Because I was like, it starts out really yucky. Talking about God divorcing our mother and selling off the children for slaves, and then it ends saying, you're going to lie down in torment. I was like, yeah, what is this? But as I started studying, I, re I recognized and learned that this is actually two separate things, and it's broken up, um, actually in three separate parts. It depends on which collar you look at. But verses 1 two and three are actually the tail end of a sermon that started back in chapter 49. And look, we're going to look at that in just a second. And then chapter 50 verses four through 11 actually are, are, are talking about God's special servant. If you remember a couple of weeks back, we talked about the fact that there are servant songs in Isaiah that talk about, prophetically talk about the Messiah coming. So there's two separate sections to this, 
For me, there's also some really cool things that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit, where God has used the verses of this particular chapter in my own personal life. But I want to, I want to first talk about this idea of divorcing the mother and selling the children, because you need to understand, these people, when they read this, they would have fully understood what, what uh, Isaiah was writing about, because it was part of their culture. It is not part of our culture. And so you may or may not know this in your background. So if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 24, verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Then she leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. Then suppose the second man dislikes her and writes a bill of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of their house or the second man who married her dies. Her first husband who sent her away is not permitted to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that would be abhorrent to the Lord, and you shall not bring on the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and not bring guilt on the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession. So this is the culture of the, of the Jewish people with, in regards to divorce. Divorce is something that's a transaction that takes place when, this, when the, 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 the man says, I no longer want you in my life, and he gives her a certificate of divorce. There is no remarriage. Once you're divorced from that guy, you can go and get married to somebody else, but you will never be married again to that man. That's the way their culture worked. That was the law of their culture. Now, turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Chapter 21. And chapter 1, uh, verse 1. That, what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 24 was the, the law relating to divorce. Now we're going to be looking at the law relating to slavery, but it's slaves specifically among the Jewish people. In other words, a Jewish person being sold as a slave. Another way of saying it is an indentured servant, because if you have a debt that needs to be paid, you work to, to pay off that debt. Okay, That's more along the lines of what this slavery is talking about. Chapter 21 of Exodus says, These are the ordinances that you shall set before the people of Israel. When you buy a male Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, but in the seventh he shall go out a free person without debt. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, and the wife of her mas uh, wife and her children shall remain uh in them as the masters and he shall go out alone but if the slave declares I love my master and I love my wife and my children and I don't want to go out a free person then his master shall bring him before God and he shall put he shall be brought to the door or the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve the master for the rest of his life chapter 21 verses 1 through 6 so these chapters have been telling us about the culture that Isaiah is now referring to in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 1 through 3. Okay? So now you know the background. Divorce is forever, and, and selling off into slavery 
is for six years to pay off a debt. And the seventh year, they have to be released. Okay? So God is now saying to these people in these three verses, these things. Did I divorce your mother? Or have I sold you to creditors? No. Now, before we look at this, I said this was actually, these three verses were actually the tail end of a sermon. So go back a page to Isaiah chapter 49 and look at chapter 49, verse 14. Chapter 49, verse 14, the people of Zion say, The Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child in the womb? Even these might forget, but I will not forget you. And then you could read through all of the rest of this, but we then come to 50, verses 1 through 3, and the tail end of this whole sermon, if you will, of God saying, I will never forget you, I'll never leave you. You're sitting there saying, I've forsaken you, but you don't understand. I will never forsake you. And he says, as a closeout of this section, talking about I will never forsake you, is, where's your mother's bill of divorce? Or with which I put her away. Can you bring it forth? Can you show me that I divorced her? No, you can't. Because it never happened. And to which of the creditors did I sell you off as an indentured servant to pay my debt? Can you produce that invoice? No, you can't. Because it never happened. And you need to understand. It was not that I rejected you. I didn't reject you. I didn't cast you out. You walked away from me. You were the ones that went off into sin, into idolatry. You were the ones, no matter how many times I warned you, no matter how many times I said to you, don't do this, don't go their way, that way there's going to be consequences, you continued to thumb your nose at me and walk away. And the end result was, your parents got carried off into exile, and now for 70 years, the nation of Israel has been sitting in Babylon Undergoing the penalty for the sin. <coughs> but I'm telling you people, I never rejected you. I never shut the door. And the fact that he didn't divorce, quote unquote, their mother, means that there is the possibility of reconciliation. There is the possibility of coming back. And there was never a selling off, so that means that God has the right to call his people back. And he says to them in verse 2, Why did no one respond when I called? I mean, you guys have said that you're my followers. You've said that you long, if you go through the, the songs of Psalms of Lament in the book of Psalms, talking about coming back out of Babylon and going back to Jerusalem, and oh, we want to sing uh, sing again like we used to sing. I mean, that was the whole culture of Israel when they were in Babylon. Oh, if we could just get back to Jerusalem. Oh, if we could just worship in the temple like we used to do. Oh, if we could. And God is saying in verse 2, when I called, why didn't you respond? What's the problem? And if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that there were many people who were in the, in the dispersion in the, in, in the exile, exile in Babylon, who didn't leave when they were given the opportunity because life was so good. Because they had established their livelihood there in that place. And so God is the one who's calling and wooing them at the end of this sermon. And he literally says to them, is my hand shortened 
In some translations, you may see, like the NIV, I believe it says, is my arm too short? Can I not redeem? Have I no power to deliver? And I will tell you that God used that verse a number of years ago with me when we were having this ramp put in and this this sanctuary remodeled and the nursery done and the parsonage and, the, and all the different things that were going on. We had that team of 38 people here. They were here for like 12, 13 days. And on the second or third day, we ran out of funds. Or we were, in the pro- we were close to running out of funds for this project. And we had raised... I think it was like we had raised like $12,700. And I was on my face before God that morning saying, God, there's lots of work to do and there's lots of people, but there's not enough money to buy all this stuff. And the Lord literally said to me out of Isaiah chapter 50, is my arm too short? If I have declared something, am I not able to make it happen? Am I not able to provide the resources so that what I have declared can happen? Look at what he says here in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 2. By my rebuke, the sea dries up. By my state words, the desert, the rivers become a desert. I'm the one who clothes the heavens in blackness. God has all power. He is omnipotent. He can do anything. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It is not a matter of he doesn't have the resources available. It is not a matter of he doesn't know what to do. And it's not the matter of he can't do it. He can and he will do it. All you have to do is believe and trust. Oh, there's that word trust. And going back to this idea that Evelyn gave to us this morning, that God speaking to us about his love and his power, not his strap. And what did you say? Not the strap and the switch of discipline, but the love and the power of God. The love wooing back the errant spouse, if you will, or the errant children. I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. And I have told you, I'm going to provide for you. Is my arm too short? No, it's not too short. I can do anything and I will do anything to make sure that you come back to me. And then he transitions. Verse 4 starts talking about this doing anything to bring the people back to God. But it's not real clear. It doesn't say, well, I'd do anything to bring people back to As a matter of fact, this is what I'll do. It doesn't say that. It's almost like there's a page turn or a chapter turn and there's a break in this. Because it talks about God's power and God being able to do anything. And then the very next things it says is, the Lord God has given me a tongue of a teacher. What? What? God was just talking about love and redemption and power. What is he talking about? God has given me the tongue of a teacher. What? That I can know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as though who are taught. And it goes on and... This doesn't tie in with what we were just looking at. And that's the struggle I had as I was studying this. I was like, this doesn't make sense. But I read some of the scholars, and this is one, chapter 4, I mean, chapter 50, verse 4, through to the end of the chapter. This is one of the servant songs. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. What is a servant song? The servant song is the prophetic looking at the coming of the Messiah. So these words from especially 4 through 9 are talking about Jesus, are talking about who Jesus is and what he's what he is going to be for the people of Israel. First of all, he's a teacher. 
Then it says, verse 5, the Lord opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I didn't turn back. In other words, God revealed his plan to the, to the servant. And the servant said, yes, Lord. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me. What in Jesus' story talks about his back being struck? Jesus says, I, or the servant says, my cheeks, verse 6, I gave my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I didn't hide my face from insult and spitting. Have you ever been spit on? I have been. I, I was in the Philippines in 1984 to 1987, and I was in my pastor's home, and my pastor had four little children, and the oldest of the two boys was about Corbin's age, or maybe Zariah's age, somewhere in that time, that frame. And this little young man, I won't say his name because he's still alive, and someday we may see each other again, but he was sitting on the counter in their kitchen dining room area, of their home and I came up to him and I kind of got into his personal space I wasn't intending to but I got into his personal space and I came up and said how are you doing today and he went <laughs> and spit right here on my face just right on the, the cheek the ball of my cheek I, can, I went from 0 to 60 in one second I wanted to rip his face off I was furious how dare you He's a little kid. He didn't understand. And it, his, it was his way of saying, get out of my space. You're, you're invading who I am. But it was offensive to me, and it caused great anger in me. And my initial response was to slap him. Obviously, I didn't. But that was my initial response. And I would say that that is probably the normal response of every human being. You get spit in the face. You want to retaliate. Now, look at this. Verse 6, Jesus, the servant, saying, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, and I didn't hide my face from insult and spitting. What does plucking out of the beard mean? Literally, it means plucking out the beard. It literally means them coming up and going, Ew! and it's a form of, of insult, high insult in that culture. Remember we talked about last week about throwing the shoe at somebody and showing the heel? This is also very, very personal insult. You come up to somebody and you pull the hair out of their beard. It's an insult to them. Now, the servant is saying, God showed me what the plan was and I submitted. I was not rebellious. I didn't turn back. I gave my back to be struck. I gave my cheeks to have my beard pulled out. I did not hide my face when they insulted me, even when they spit on me. Verse 7, the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. See, the servant is saying, I know the higher ways of God. Because I have sat in his counsel. Verse 4 said, he has spoken to me and I know these things. I listen to him. Now when he gets into the actual doing of being the servant, verse 7, he's able to endure because he knows the plan. And he says, I have not been disgraced. 
And as a result of my knowledge, what does it say? I have set my face like flint. I know that I, am, I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. The servant is saying, I know the plan of God. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to allow myself to be struck and beat and have my beard plucked and be spit on and be insulted and I will not receive any of it as shame because I know that this serves the higher purposes of the Almighty God and I'm willing to endure whatever He brings into my life because I know that He will never leave me. I know that He will vindicate me. I know that He will stay near me. This is what the servant is saying. And you know what the commentator said about the servant? The servant was the perfect Israel. The servant is the perfect example of what it means to be a servant of the living God. If you can be a servant of the living God, God will reveal his plan to you. If you are the servant of the living God, God will prepare you in advance for the things that are going to be coming. And if you are in alignment with the will of God, you will willingly accept whatever comes your way. Not because you're, oh, I can't allow this to happen. But you're saying, I let it come. Whatever comes, I trust that my God is in charge. He is in charge. Therefore, if, if bad comes, that's his will. If good comes, it's his will. I will trust him. I will not be put to shame. Because I'm not worried about what the world thinks about me. I know who I am in God. I know what my relationship is. I know what my covenantal promises are. And I know ultimately when it's all said and done, I will stand before him and I will hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what it means to be the perfect servant of the living God. To not fight against. To not rebel when the bad stuff comes. But the reality is, there has to be the beforehand work. Because it said in verse 4, God has given me the tongue of a teacher. Well, how did he do that? He taught the servant. God himself taught the servant that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. How do you learn those things? Through the day-by-day -day intimate fellowship of you and God. Reading the word of God. Chewing on the word of God. Praying over the word of God. Praying over your relationship with God. Saying, help me to understand this. Help me to apply it to my life. How in the world does all of this make any sense? So that someday down the road, the Holy Spirit of God can reach down into your memory banks and pull it out and say, see, this is why we talked about this so long ago. Because you were going to need it now. How many of you people have seen the book, I mean, have seen the, the movie The Shack? How many of you have read the book The Shack? There's a scene in that movie and there's a scene in the book where the main character, whose name is Mac, wakes up and Papa, the father in the Godhead, presents to Mac as, a, as an older man instead of a, 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 instead of a woman. And Mac questions him about it. And he says, why? And the father says to him, because I know that today you're going to need a father. It's a powerful, powerful statement of God's 
full understanding and knowing what our need is and being able to meet that need in the moment that it's there. And that's what God does with the servant here. He says to the servant, these are the things you need to know in advance of my plan and my purposes. Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Then let's walk in this, my child. And the servant then walks in it, regardless of how bad it gets. Ultimately, setting his face like flint, knowing he's not being put to shame, knowing he will be vindicated. Because as he's going through it, what does it from the human perspective look like? He's literally hanging naked on a cross with people hurling insults at him all day long while he dies. The song that we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone. For you and me. Because he knew the plan. And he trusted the Father. That's the perfect example of what it means to be a servant. And the tail end of this. The tail end of this. Verse 9 and 10. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Verse 10. And this is the tale of it. Verse 10 and 11 is kind of like a uh, point-counterpoint. Yes and no. White and dark. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant who walks in darkness and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies on his God? But all of you are kindlers of fire, lighters of firebrands, walking in the flame of your own fire and among the brands that you've kindled. And this is what you have from me, from my own hand. You shall lie down in torment. Now, as I meditated on that, and I'll tell you what I thought before I learned from the scholars what they thought. And I don't know that I'm wrong. I just I saw it from a different perspective. What is being said in verses 10 and 11 of this is if you trust in God, you can depend on him. He will guide you. He will take care of you. You will not. You will walk in light even though you're walking in darkness. It doesn't make sense, but you will. It's what we talked about earlier about as we were praying about having peace when there shouldn't be any reason to have peace. Having stability in your life when everything else is falling to chaos, you can still walk rock solid. Why? Because your life is not built on worldly things. Your life is built on the solid rock of Christ's teachings. And what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, through the servant to the people of Israel is, but you try to kindle your own little fire to stave off the darkness. And you try to light these little fires all over the place. And the reality is, you're constantly worried about them going out because if they go out, you're going to have darkness again until you're going to continually tend to the fire. And the reality is, you'll have no peace. You'll be in constant torment trying to keep all the fires going because, oh my goodness, what happens if the darkness starts to encroach on me? And what God is saying is, if you would just trust in me, the omnipotent one, the sovereign Lord of all of heaven's armies. You can have the peace. You can have the contentment. You can have the joy. It goes beyond any understanding. 
But the problem is, you rely on your own stuff, and you fall into torment. You have no peace. The last image that I want to leave you with in this, in this little idea, is I was, I, I, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a story called The Horse and His Boy. And it's about a young boy named Shasta, who was about 10 or 11, maybe 12 years old. And he's with a horse going north to, to, to Narnia. And they get to the edge of the desert. And Shasta has been separated from his friends. And he's sitting on the edge of the desert, literally in an area where there are some tombs. And it's dark, and it's night. And he doesn't have a fire, he doesn't have anything but himself. He's all by himself, his friends have been separated from him. And all of a sudden, there's this cat that comes up to him. Just a little kitty cat. And he, he's like, here kitty kitty kitty, here kitty 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 kitty. And he pets the cat, and he's like, I'm so glad to have somebody here with me. And he lays down, and he lays with his back facing the desert. And he faces the city. And the cat lays up against him on, the ba- on his back, facing out towards the desert. And all of a sudden, Shasta begins to hear jackals in the distance. And he's like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me. But he doesn't know, I mean, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He doesn't, he's just, he's scared to death. The cat's still there. And all of a sudden, he hears a lion roar. And the cat, the jackals, scream in terror and run off in the distance. And then Shasta opens his eyes and looks around. And there's the little kitty there. And he lays back down against his back. And Shasta goes to sleep for the rest of the night. And he wakes up. The cat has gone on. But for the moment that he needed the cat to be with him, the cat was there, presenting as a loving, gentle little kitty cat to cuddle with. But the power and the strength and the ferocity of the lion to deal with the horrors that were coming in the night. And that to me is what I see here in verses 10 and 11. God saying to the servant, through the servant, to the people of Israel, trust me. Even if you're walking in darkness, even if you have no light, trust me. Fully rely on me. Don't rely on your own little fires that you're trying to stave off the stuff. Because all that's going to do is bring fear and anxiety and torment. If you trust me, I will guide you. I will care for you. And my arm is not too short. I can take care of anything that comes your way. Powerful, powerful, powerful message that God gave to his people Israel. And thank God it was recorded so that we could read it. Because it's an incredible story for us. Trust in the Lord with all of your might. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path.